And she's here to do some poetry with us tonight. And she's an amazing poet. And I'll read her bio for you uh, after we get back from the musical break. But tonight, you know, I was really feeling it's summertime and it's California and, you know, it's eight o'clock, but the sun's still out, I'm sure. And it's still warm outside. So I'm going to play um, some whispers, which reminds me of my dad, like working on his car uh, from the 1980s. So this is the whispers. Uh, Keep on loving me from 1983. Here we go.
you guys enjoyed that song those of you cruising on the highway <laughs> did you like that song yeah. i love that song oh man it, uh, we were just saying uh <laughs> you might be you're my parents age because my mom had me when she was 17 <laughs> so 1983 right i was in high school <laughs> oh man well don't you're you're young and beautiful and amazing just like my mom <laughs> oh thank you <laughs> um so uh Sorry, guys. I'm I'm starstruck. I've got Angela Torres in here, and I've been wanting to have her on the show for so long. Um, so you're listening to KKUP Cupertino, 91.5 FM here in the Bay Area and beyond the Bay at KKUP.org. And thank you for listening for those of you who are streaming live um, all over the world. The show is Out of Our Minds, and this uh, show is the longest-running poetry radio show in America. It's still holding on every week, Wednesday nights. I am sharing time slots with Lady Stardust, who takes over for music once in a while because I've got a newborn at home and trying to get on schedule. And once I do, I'll, you know, I'll be back here every single Wednesday um, to give you poetry for as long as I can. Um, so I have an amazing poet for you tonight. This is Angela Narciso Torres. And Angela's uh, poetry collection, Blood Orange, won the Willow Books Literature Award for Poetry. Her work appears in Spoon River Poetry Review, Nimrod, Colorado Review, Cimarron Review, Drunken Boat, and others. She is a graduate of Warren Wilson MFA program and Harvard Graduate School of Education. Angela has received fellowships from Breadloaf Writers Conference, Illinois Arts Council, and Ragdale Foundation. New City Magazine named her one of Chicago's Lit 50 in 2016. She's born in Brooklyn and raised in Manila. She's a senior poetry editor for Rhino and reader for the New England Review. So happy to have you live on the show tonight, Angela. Welcome. Thank you. So happy to be here. Yeah, back in the Bay, right? Back in the Bay. That's right. So what's your relationship to the Bay Area? Well, um, we moved here when um, my eldest son was one year old mm. and and we stayed in the bay for 14 years wow. in the process we had three children raised them here and then we moved to chicago in 2008 um but what's what was really interesting was this is where it all started i started writing poetry in the year 2000 in yeah. earnest i mean we all wrote bad poetry when we were younger <laughs> right but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i started taking poetry classes right here uc santa cruz and cupertino oh wow the show started i hear <laughs> yeah 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 uh this uh, the radio show started in Cupertino. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. that's it. In a garage. Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so this is very much like a coming home to me. Nice. And it's very special for me to be here tonight with you. And you're also celebrating some great stuff, which your oldest son graduated, correct? Mm -hmm. Well, he graduated last year. My second oh. son graduated um, just that last Sunday. So <laughs> that's the reason we're here. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so exciting. Well, welcome back. So, um, Thank you. so tonight we're going to talk about your book, Blood Orange, um, and that's out of Willow Books. And you and I are pressmates, and that's how we know each other from the Willow Books Prize. That's right. Yeah, it's great to to be here with a pressmate from Willow Books. Yeah. yeah so tell me a little special. bit. Uh, tell me a little bit about Blood Orange, the context of the book, and mm -hmm. all that good stuff. Well, Blood Orange is my first book of poetry. It's a poetic memoir of sorts of my growing up years in Manila. Mm -hmm. um, I was born in Brooklyn, but shortly after that, my parents moved back to the Philippines and they raised um, all five of us children there. Um, so they went to the, the U.S. as um, medical students mm -hmm. and were furthering their studies. But um, unlike others who uh, went to the U.S. at that um, in that time period, they decided that they wanted to go back and 
and practice medicine where uh, in their homeland. Wow. Yeah, so um, we went back, and I was still an infant, and I pretty much grew up there until my early 20s, and then came back to the U.S. for master's. And um, yeah, that's, that's the trajectory of the book as well. The first part is about my childhood in the Philippines, and there are a lot of poems about my family, and then the latter part of the book is about my life in the U.S. as a mother, as a writer, straddling two cultures. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's the kind of theme that I think um, uh, Willow Books, some of Willow Books authors really work with, which is this uh, existence between two spaces. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's interesting to hear that that's also a space that you're working from. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. Uh, do you want to take us away and write and read a few poems, or do you want to talk some more about the book? Um, I, I would love to start with a poem from the book. Um, mm-hmm. I usually like to start poetry readings with this poem about my mother called Lucky. I consider it my lucky poem because I read it on the um, the night that the Willow uh, Prize was awarded to, to this manuscript. And so I think I've read it at every poetry reading <laughs> since getting the award. That's okay. Yeah, but um, <laughs> it's one of my... Uh, it's one of the poems that's dearest to my heart because uh, my mother still lives in the Philippines and I try to visit her every year. Um, she's older now and she can't travel very much. So it's been getting harder for her to see us depart after we visited her mm. after a long trip. And um, so this is a poem of departure and it's for my mother. Mom, if you're listening, this is for you. <laughs> Lucky. My mother looks for signs on the morning of my departure. Everything means something else, she assures me when I topple a juice glass, calling it good fortune when crystal shatters. When I lose the coral earrings she gave me, she blesses heaven, better that than your life. So when she hears the flight's been delayed, burnt fuse, she's exultant, convinced the gods have foiled some evil design on my safety. It delights her when I call her from the gate to say I've spilled coffee on my favorite sweater. And yes, the weather in Denver is fine. Mother of contradictions, believer in science and angels, for you I'd stoop for the wayward pin. Avoid each sidewalk crack. Comb a field of wild clover to find you a balm for letting go. That's amazing. Thank you. Oh my goodness. Um, it reminded me of so many things and uh, I'm, it seems like it's very steeply um, sort of held inside of your culture, inside of your family, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It reminds me of um, this sort of superstition we have in our family, which is uh, the ojo, do you know about this? The eye, I? that if someone is sort of saying that your baby is beautiful or or great or like all these things they have to touch the baby because mm-hmm. if they don't touch the baby the baby has bad luck oh wow <laughs> that's very yeah, similar to to this the kind of con- contradiction between good and bad things yeah opposites yeah so, yeah and then so then apparently this sort of transposes onto other things. So mm-hmm. if someone is coveting your earrings mm-hmm. and they don't touch them or they don't, or they're coveting your earrings, then your earrings might break. And this happened huh. to me. <laughs> <laughs> really? At AWP oh, in LA. Wow. Tell me, tell me the story. It sounds really interesting. <laughs> so, so um, I have these great whale earrings that mm-hmm. my friend got me from um, Alaska and they're okay. beautiful like bone whale earrings. And a woman was like, oh, your earrings are so beautiful. Can I take a picture? Your mm-hmm. earrings are amazing, amazing. And the next day, they fell on the porcelain in the hotel room and broke. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so it's true. <laughs> There's some truth to it. So, so, so... um. So you carry that also in your culture? Somewhere. We do. We have all sorts of superstitions like that. And what's really interesting is my mother is a scientist. She's a, a doctor of medicine, but mm-hmm. she had these these superstitions. Like um, another one was if you uh, played with candles late at night, then you might wet your bed. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> and then there's another one where if you um, give someone a pair of shoes, you need to give them a coin, like some money, mm. because they might step on you. Yeah. <laughs> in a metaphorical way that's very interesting yeah that's really cool that poem is really fantastic thank you um so yeah so um how does 
how does writing poetry, I mean, if you're a daughter of medical profession, pro- professionals, like how did they take you going into the world of poetry years? Mm. My father was a man of letters as well. He loved books Mm -hmm. and literature. And um, we didn't have public libraries in Manila. We had them in in the school I went to. But like in the summer, there was no public library to go to. But when my father would travel, he'd take home books for me. Mm. I remember he bought me the Little House on the Prairie books once when he came to the States for a conference and um, introduced me to Anne of Green Gables. He somehow knew what little girls read. And that's (laughs) pretty amazing that he yeah that that he had that gift um so I guess I grew up just loving books and loving writing and loving poetry even though I didn't write it very well when I was younger um but then there was also this other part of living with these scientists who are constantly talking about illness and and treatments and I would hang out in the university where he taught and um in fact the next poem I was going to share was about that how, how much I spent time with him at the university mm-hmm. and the, just the weird things that I would see there. <laughs> Skeletons and body parts and things like that. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, that must be an amazing space for children. I grew up um, on ranches in Hollister, so mm-hmm. I saw skeletons of animals and mm-hmm. skeletons of old machinery. <laughs> right, right. And I think um, our cultures are similar in that death is always very much a part of life in Philippine culture. It's not something we shy away from. Yeah. yeah. I was always around um, people with diseases, people who were terminally ill, and um, I've been to funerals at the age of four or five. It was right. just part of life. It was a big celebration. It was like a continuation. This was all in the continuum of life and death. Yeah. This is something that was so like tucked away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as, as time progresses, you know, you realize, at least I'm realizing that uh, my very large family is getting smaller over time. So mm-hmm. all of my aunts and uncles who are around, the, the family is just shrinking. Mm. And so it's it's this thing where you watch everyone around you with this like, I, I, at least I do with this like feeling that every time you spend with them is so precious and so important. And it just gets a little heightened when you have a kid too. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, yes, for sure. And it gets heightened when you're really far away from them because I only get to see them once a year at most. Yeah. Well, why don't you go ahead and read that poem you were talking about? Okay, so this one is called Waiting for My Father at the University Hospital Lab. On his desk, coiled against a fragment of uterine wall, the fetus floated in a mason jar, pale thumb raised to its voiceless straw of neck. Shaken from mothballed sleep, my father's lab coat, starched, pressed, lily-white, sloped across his shoulders behind the underwood. A blank sheet waited for letters to pound through carbon, malignant, benign, malignant, Malignant, benign. Pipette thin, barely nine, I crossed the doorway. No sound but the shuffle of patent shoes on tile. Clicking against the microscope, his ice cube lenses magnified that other universe. Berry-stained cells congealed into rocks, ringlets, ferns unfurled, moon craters. Curled amid books and paper, I became infinitesimal, a tight fist of fire and constellations, no larger than a dust mote on the camera lens he polished with a scrap of chamois before peering into the deep rivers of a heart pinned open. Now I assume that's only one poem about your time in that space. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it was an incredible place for a, a kid to hang out and back then we, we weren't hooked to devices yet we didn't have iPhones or iPads or <laughs> computers game game boy whatever so all I had was a pen and paper and I would draw things and, and write things down or walk around and observe things in the lab where he worked and so yeah this is where all those images go to when you're a poet <laughs> they go into a poem <laughs> they do and they're amazing and you know it's uh, someone just shared something on Facebook today talking about what we did before the internet mm-hmm. about um, staring at walls. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and I right. was thinking, I did, when I was a little girl waiting in the like doctor's mm-hmm. office or something, you're always staring at the walls. I'm looking at the walls in KKUP studio yeah. now. Yeah, looking for um, shapes and making making things out of them, right? It's right. like staring at the clouds. I used to do that too. 
<laughs> Our bathroom had th- this capiz window. It's made of this kind of shell. Mm-hmm. And um, there are all these shapes. And I would see familiar figures in them. After a while, they were like just part of the furniture, I guess. <laughs> Characters in my dreams. Right. Yeah. Isn't that amazing to think about? I wonder if kids today are missing out on that. (laughs) I know. I wonder what it's doing to their imaginations, that they're not using it as much as we used to. I don't know. I I did have a friend who's a poet on the show, and she, for many, many years in the 80s and 90s, did um, work with children, uh, poetry with children in schools. Mm -hmm. And she said she had to start giving it up because she had to work harder and harder and harder to get anything out from the kids. Oh, that's unfortunate. Yeah. And I I mean, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom or anything. Mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of new things that are happening for children in the world. Right. But I think that um, there's definitely a change. There's definitely a shift. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and that's why we need poetry more than ever now. Yeah, absolutely. And so what is poetry to you? I mean, that's a huge question. But what is it for you? What does it do for you? Well, one of the best definitions I, I heard from a poetry teacher is that the poem is like a box, a box um, that can hold anything and we put things in this box and even things that are extremely heavy ideas feelings emotions no matter how vast can all be held in this box that we call a poem and it's self-contained you can bring it anywhere it's portable and um it's a container we and and disparate objects can be put in there and somehow we make associations we make it work Seamus Heaney said it differently he said in poems small things can bear the weight of anything Mm-hmm. And I really love that. And I, I've I've like tried to do that in some of my poems. In fact, the next poem is about a bar of soap. And it's um, a perfect segue into this poem that I wrote about my father because I wanted in a small poem to be able to contain this lifetime of devotion that he um that he shared with my mom mm. and how sad he felt whenever she had to go out of town or leave. It was like they were inseparable. Oh. So. You're tugging at my heartstrings here. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's beautiful. I mean, um, the other day, my husband and me and the baby were driving, and right now things are tough. I'm trying to find a job, and mm-hmm. it's been really rough. My husband's out of school, so uh, he's on the GI Bill. So our our income has been cut in half mm. for the summer. And all of my job prospects fell through. And we're driving in the car. We have a, a tank full of gas and driving in the car out to Monterey. And I just turned to my husband and I was like, gosh, we don't have anything these days. And he said, well, at least we have love, love oh, and happiness. He said, yes. sometimes that feels like all we have. That's all you need. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Read, yeah, read your poem, please. All right. This is soap. Years later, my father would tell her that while she was away visiting family overseas, the slowly shrinking soap became a sacrament of his loneliness. And how, when he bathed on the eve of my mother's return, the bar had thinned to a petal on the lip of the tub. It's a small poem. Very small poem. It's maybe eight or nine lines. That's so nice. It's like a bar of soap. (laughs) (laughs) The last time I visited the Philippines, I remember my father pulling me aside and he said, I forgot to show you this. And he showed me the bar of soap on his tub. And it was was like really tiny, like a sliver. (laughs) It's really sweet that way. Oh my gosh, that is really beautiful. That's amazing. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Um, so how did it feel to you? I mean, Blood Orange is your first book of poems, right? Mm-hmm, yes. And how did that feel to finally get them put into a book and, and become this publication? I had a lot of mixed feelings. Um, your first book is kind of, I think, is probably the most difficult book I'm guessing, because for me, it was almost a 10-year process. Some Mm. of the poems I had written like 10 years previous to publication in this book, and some were written um, just fairly months before. And so you're trying to, out of this compendium of all the work that you've done over a period of time, to make them cohere into a manuscript. And um, I guess the process for me was finding a lens that would that would um, pick up what uh, what among those poems, among that those poems I had written over that period of time, would fit into a book, that, um, into the trajectory of a book that felt like of one piece, mm-hmm. of a fabric. And so it was really gratifying to know that it worked, that it, it did um, 
win the Willow Prize. But then when it was out there in the world, it was almost like sending your toddler out to the wolves. <laughs> it's like, okay, there it is. You know, it, it is what it is. And the world will do with it what, what it may. And it's, but so far, people have been very, very generous. Mm. And I really enjoyed reading from it since it was published in 2013. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's interesting that it's, was published four years ago, and this little book is still getting um, some attention, and, and people are still inviting me to read mm-hmm. on shows like this yeah. <laughs> and in other places. So, yeah, I think that's the po- power of poetry. Right. It just bridges a lot of um, um, worlds together and brings people together. Yeah, and, and, you know, the thing is, is that some people have some people have tried to advise me about how to run the show in some ways or another and that's fine I'm always open to information but Mm -hmm. they're like oh well you got to run with the times you got to get the new people everyone who's publishing now like you have to be part of this like publishing machine if Mm -hmm. you're going to be doing the radio show and I'm sort of working really hard to hold on to what this radio show is which is community Mm -hmm. oriented it's about who is part of the poetry community, not what accolades they have to offer mm. for the show. And I, I think that that's really important for poetry and for right. poets. Yeah, I respect that a lot. I think that's the right impulse because um, one of my teachers always said that repetition is good in poetry, not just as a device in your poems, but also in hearing them again and again. I mean, the best poems, they shock us into recognition. That's something that I read from Harold Bloom recently. Mm. And that that shock doesn't diminish with a great poem. Each time you read it, you're just, wow, I never knew. Absolutely. I mean, I read, uh, when I was teaching, I would read uh, Rothke's My Papa's Waltz Mm. over, I mean, I would have my students read it. It's one of my canon pieces. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it is for many people. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But Every time I hear it, it doesn't matter. Every time I hear it, it's still amazing. Mm-hmm. That's the true sign of a great poem. Um, so actually, let's do one more poem before we go to our middle of the show musical break. So do you have one more poem to share with us? I would love to share one more poem. And this one I'm dedicating to you since you're a new mother. Oh, thank you. I'm sure you know the experience of watching your baby sleep. It's probably the the hour that you wait for the most, the moment <laughs> that you, <laughs> you live for at the end of the day. Um, at any time during the day. <laughs> right. It, it does get better, I have to tell you. Oh, thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> my children are older than in this piece, though. They're, they're like maybe five, seven, and nine. Mm-hmm. I have three boys. They're all taller than me now. So this is one of the earlier poems. And um, it's kind of like a serenade. You know, we have the Abad, which is... Um, uh, a poem that you write at dawn to a sleeping lover. And this mm-hmm. is a serenade to sleeping children. Mm-hmm. Thursday after dinner at La Midonia. We arrive past midnight, stepping out of coats and street shoes into the plum darkness of stairs leading to our children's bedroom. Through the railing of the top bunk, our nine-year-old's limbs dangle, angular and smooth as a sapling, his long bones like bare branches in the sleep of winter, the shy curve of biceps under a yellow sleeve. Shirtless and coiled near the edge of his mattress, our second lies cocooned waist down in flannel, threadbare from years of washing. His mouth is open, his eyebrows, black feathers, arranged like question marks. I pull the quilt to his chin. He murmurs about what? I will never know. Palms pressed together under a cheek, the youngest rests on his side, one thigh thrown over the balled-up sheet. (laughs) At five years, he spans the length of the toddler bed. When I bend to lift his bangs, stringy with sweat, the air fills with boy smells, (laughs) talc, sea spray, metal. His eyes scrunch together as if to seal out moonlight. Standing in the room amid three sleeping boys, their thin chests swelling and emptying to different tempos, I can almost believe their mind to keep blood, bone, and breath in that moment, despite knowing what time has passed since each slippery push that launched their drifting, ineluctable as the movement of ships or continents away from where they started. Other nights after reading somewhere, We could be reading in bed or making love as they inch away, quiet as glaciers, farther by the minute, 
fading like a dream I try to describe in daylight. Stay, stay, I want to cry out, but the images dim and blur at the edge of morning, so that by noon I've lost entire stories, and starting at the beginning doesn't help me to remember. So good. All right, I've got Angela Torres, and this is KKUP Cupertino, 91.5 FM. We'll be back after the break. Uh, We're listening to The Whispers tonight. This is um, Say Yes from 1981. Here we go.
All right. So that song, oh, hold on, let me readjust us here. All right. So that song was Say Yes by The Whispers, and that's from the album Love is Where You Find It in 1981. And I'm here with Angela Torres. Um, sorry, we were we were chatting away during the break, and we came back. Oh my gosh, we got to go on the air right now. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the music. Yeah, but we're back. <laughs> yeah. So, um, uh, hold on. Let me turn the music off before the next track starts playing. <laughs> um, so I wanted to take the second ha- uh, segment into something that I've been doing with a lot of poets this year. And I'm kind of taking my cues from Robert Pinsky, who is a poet laureate of the United States um, mm-hmm. and was the poet laureate. Now we have um, Juan Felipe. But um, he did a project called Favorite Poems Project, which he asked and anyone, regular Americans, what their favorite poems were. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you get a lot of the same stuff. Right. <laughs> a lot of the canon, mm-hmm. uh, which mm-hmm. is great. Right. But since here on Out of Our Minds, uh, I try and focus on people who are maybe working in different spaces, not always working in that canonical mm-hmm. space. Mm-hmm. I like to ask them what their favorite poems are mm-hmm. so we can mm-hmm. see like where things intersect. Right. So I want to ask you, what are your favorite poems? Well, when um, whenever, when anyone asks me that, I, I sort of freeze. I panic because it's just so hard to pick a few yeah. fa- favorite poems, right? Especially from the vast many that we've read, especially as poets. Um, so as I was talking about earlier, I had been reading a book. Uh, by Harold Bloom, and he talked about the shock of recognition. So I thought I would use that as a criteria mm. for choosing poems for tonight. Nice. I th- I thought, what are those poems that still, you know, after co- many rereadings, still give me that shock of recognition? Um, a good poem startles us out of our complacency, is what he said. Out of the sleep of death mm. were his very words, and um, give us a, a, a more capacious sense of life. Mm. And there are definitely poems that do that for us and, and um, that is just crack the world open and, and suddenly you're seeing it differently. And the first poem that came to mind without really thinking very much was uh, Robert Hayden's Those Winter Sundays, which is a poem about his father. Maybe mm. because we just celebrated Father's Day. I was thinking about um, good Father's Day poems to share. And um, Robert Hayden was also a po- U.S. Poet Laureate. Back when it wasn't even called that, he was mm. a consultant to the Library of Congress in 1976, wow. a position which eventually evolved into the Poet Laureate position. Wow. Um, and he was the first African-American in the U.S. to be named Poet Laureate. Wow. Yeah, and a lot of his poems deal with um, historical figures like Malcolm X and um, Frederick Douglass and Martin Luther King. Um, but... This poem is, is different than that. It's not, um, it, I mean, his work is obviously very important. He writes a lot about the black, American black experience, the slave trade. He researched uh, extensively about the Civil War. But um, in this poem, he really restrained all that knowledge and focused on a very personal mm. um, moment from his life. Well, I'm assuming the speaker's life, remembering his father. Um, so let me just read that poem. Absolutely. Thank you for teaching us. <laughs> You're welcome. Can't help it. <laughs> no, it's it's fantastic. This is this is what I love about this show. <laughs> I get to learn every week. <laughs> okay, so here's Those Winter Sundays by Robert Hayden. Sundays too, my father got up early and put on his clothes in the blue-black cold. Then with cracked hands that ached from labor in the weekday weather, made banked fires blaze. No one ever thanked him. I'd wake and hear the cold, splintering, breaking. When the rooms were warm, he'd call, and slowly I would rise and dress, fearing the chronic angers of that house. Speaking indifferently to him, who had driven out the cold and polished my good shoes as well. What did I know? What did I know of love's austere and lonely offices? <laughs> How does that make you feel when you read it? Well, I think this poem just, I mean, talk about shock of recognition. I think we all understand that um, love's struggle we have with our parents and ultimately with ourselves. Mm. Any relationship with a parent is fraught with both intimacy and distance, Um but what really strikes me with this poem is um, 
just the attention to craft and detail, the delicate touch that he uses to talk about this moment that must have been very difficult to tell about. Um, I mean, we see the distance between the father and the child, but also the kind of love that's born out of just dailiness, of doing these daily mundane tasks <laughs> without fail, this, the predictability of that, and right. how that makes a child feel so safe in a way, mm. even though he talks about the chronic angers and it's cold. Um, and what what's also really lovely is that the craft in the poem mimics that. In the first stanza, he's laying out the lines so carefully, like someone dutifully setting a table, putting the plates down, or mm. or hanging clothes. Mm. And what's the father doing? He's building a fire because mm. it's cold. And there's um, a lot of sound devices, too. Um, there's alliteration, banked fires blaze, and all the cuss sounds in cold clothes, cracked, ached. Mm. And it creates this motif, this opposition between warmth and cold. Mm. And, and that's our dance with our parents. Wow. There's warmth, there's cold, and yet... In the end, it's the love that he remembers. It's mm, amazing. Absolutely, it's a beautiful poem. Absolutely amazing. So other poems, I'm sure I'm, I'm moving around. Come on, let's go to another <laughs> poem. You're giving me so much. Okay. We only have so much time tonight. <laughs> right. Yeah, this one's a little bit of a longer poem. Um, so one of my earliest influences when I, when I was living here in California and writing um, poetry it was um, Sharon Olds. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. who is one of the leading contemporary voices today. I think she's really popular because she lived in San Francisco. Yes. Yeah, and she taught at the Squaw Valley Writers' Conference for many, many years. Yes. So I, I did get a chance to see her um, read and also study with her um, at Esalen Institute for a little um, oh, for a short in, conference. in Big Sur. Hmm? In Big Sur, California. Big Sur, yeah, yes, yes. I, I used to work there. Yeah, she's one of my idols. Um um, she writes about family, as we know. She writes about children and often very with graphic descriptions of family life and the body and sexuality. Mm -hmm. And so she has her detractors and she has also a lot of supporters. Right. I think the people who um, read her work closely will find that she's really a master of the metaphor and of um, just the li linguistic surprises. Mm. And so even though she writes very particularly about the details of her life, she is she manages to make it universal by, by her use of metaphor, and I think that's where her intelligence lies. And I think the reason she spoke to me so much is that I was also, the poems I was reading of hers was when she was raising her young children, and I was going through the same. In fact, the poem I read earlier about the boy sleeping, the last poem I read, mm -hmm. was um, kind of inspired by one of her poems, watching her children sleep. Yeah. yeah, I think it was Ted Bergen who said, "If you if you want to learn to be a poet, you imitate someone you admire," and that's basically what I did. So this is the poem I was reading, literally, that that inspired the poem I read earlier. Mm. It's called "Looking at Them Asleep." When I come home late at night and go in to kiss the children, I see my girl with her arm curled around her head, her face deep in unconsciousness, so deeply centered she is in her dark self her mouth slightly puffed like one sated, but slightly pouted like one who hasn't had enough. Her eyes so closed you would think they have rolled the iris around to face the back of her head, the eyeball marble naked under that thick, satisfied, desiring lid. She lies on her back in abandon and sealed completion, and the son in his room, oh, the son, he is sideways in his bed, one knee up as if he is climbing sharp stairs into the night. And under his thin, quivering lids, you know his eyes are wide open and staring and glazed. The blue in them, so anxious and crystally in all this darkness. And his mouth is open. He is breathing hard from the climb and panting a bit. His brow is crumpled and pale. His long fingers curved his hand open. And in the center of each hand, the dry, dirty, boyish palm, resting like a cookie, I look at him in his quest, the thin muscles of his arms, passionate and tense. I look at her with her face like the face of a snake who has swallowed a deer, content, content. And I know if I wake her, she'll smile and turn her face toward me, though half asleep, and open her eyes. And I know if I wake him, he'll jerk and say, don't, and <laughs> sit up and stare about him in the blue unrecognition. Oh, my Lord, I know these two, how I know these two. When love comes to me and says, what do you know? I'll say, this girl, this boy. 
Oh my gosh, she made me cry. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Sharon Old, she made me cry. <laughs> she, yeah, she tends to do that to me too. Oh gosh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. I took a picture with her at AWP in New York back in, oh, I don't remember, nine, uh, 2005 or six or seven. Oh wow, I'm jealous. We found her on the street, me and my friends, and we're like, uh-huh. that's Sharon Olds. And she probably <laughs> was like, oh gosh. That's right. <laughs> Yes, poets. Only poets recognize other poet celebrities, right? Yeah. <laughs> I have a picture with Robert Haas somewhere too. So, oh my goodness, <laughs> I know, yeah, right? We yeah. hunted them down. <laughs> <laughs> you have all the big ones. No, yeah. Wow, that's amazing. No, she's amazing. I I just love this poem because even though she doesn't use a lot of metaphor in this one, which she's a master at, right? She um manages to hold the reader in just the almost obsessive detail in which he describes these children. And for me, just describing is an act of love. Describing in that careful detail is an act of love. Yeah. It's like an ode. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And then, you know, that that ability, and I never believed it when I wasn't a mother, like how mm-hmm. it feels to watch your child sleep mm-hmm. and how it feels to know yeah. your child but I never thought of it in those words and so when Sharon Old said it when you read it and mm-hmm. it was just so intimate it was so inside of me mm, yeah yeah she has a way of doing that of getting Thank inside you. us you're welcome happy to share it so you have another poem for us um sure yeah we can keep going all night we, yeah I know do we still have time yeah we still have time we've got We've got about 14 minutes left of the show, and then at the end of the show, I'll play music again. So we've got about 10 minutes. Okay. Well, the next poem I have is by Marie Howe. I was thinking about poems that affirm life, and um, I feel that those two poems did, but this one is really a poem about the death of her brother. Mm -hmm. It was written for her brother who died at the age of 28 from her uh, book called, uh, I think it was called The Kingdom of Ordinary Time. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or it may have been her book before that. But anyway, um, she wrote an entire book about, uh, that was an elegy to this brother of hers. And so this one is called The Gate. I had no idea that the gate I would step through to finally enter this world would be the space my brother's body made. He was a little taller than me, a young man, but grown himself by then, done at 28, Having folded every sheet, rinsed every glass he would ever rinse under the cold and running water. This is what you have been waiting for, he used to say to me. And I'd say, what? And he'd say, this, holding up my cheese and mustard sandwich. And I'd say, what? And he'd say, this, sort of looking around. (laughs) I like that. I like yeah. uh, bringing in that sort of um, the conversation between two people going into the poems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dialogue is hard to do. Yeah, and, and, and it's in the poem for sure. And uh, recently, I've been really enjoying some poets' works that I will be interviewing soon. Um, uh, for instance, actually, Raúl. Fernandez, who I'm going to have on the show on July 12th, Raul wrote this book called uh, Transmitter and Receiver, and he's out in Vancouver. Hmm. And uh, in his book, Transmitter and Receiver, right? Someone's transmitting and mm-hmm. another person is receiving. Right. And it's all of this sort of very deep internal discussion and intimacy between the speaker and the speaker's significant other. Mm-hmm. And all of these like really... Um, beautiful but mundane spaces that we occupy like we were talking about earlier Mm -hmm. and you know it's it's just um it's like it's like being in a novella in like a tv show like a radio talk show (laughs) like this (laughs) (laughs) you're just talking about how this should be a conversation like we're sitting in someone's living room and that's how it feels well i'm glad (laughs) it's a sense of human connection and it's like you're overhearing someone's conversation it sounds like in this book yeah. Oh, I love the title. Yeah, transmitter and receiver. Yeah, so he's going to Yeah, so he's going to be on the show on July 12th and since I'm talking about it really quick, I'll also talk about July 5th um which I will have an interview with Stephanie Elizondo Greist. And Stephanie Elizondo Greist is the author of a nonfiction piece, so I'm going to veer away from poetry for that week. And she's going to be reading from her book, All the Agents and Saints, which is 
um, a book, a collection of nonfiction, creative nonfiction pieces. Well, not creative nonfiction. She's, it's very journalistic, but also in many words and many ways, Stephanie's work is, uh, it's just phenomenal. Anyway, she'll be reading from that and that'll be exciting. So on July 5th and July 12th, I have some good, good people to listen to. And, uh, but for now we're listening to Angela Torres, who is here live in the studio here at KKUP. So Angela, you want to take us away with another poem, a favorite or a personal or your own poem? Um, well, I thought, is this going to be my last poem, or uh, how much time do we have? Um, I, I want to see if I have enough time to read this. You have you have enough time. We're at 8.50, and we've got about five minutes left. Oh, okay. So probably probably two more poems. Okay. Um, well, okay, I'll, I'll talk about some of the new work that I've been writing. Please. So um, lately I've been going back to dance mm. as an art form. I danced um, as a child and adolescent in the Philippines. I took a lot of ballet classes. And I tried to keep it up um, even as a young adult, taking classes here and there, not for the stage, but just for my own personal satisfaction. And I revisited it again um, in maybe about uh, five or six years ago. And it felt really good to be in my body again, especially after having raised children. and. Um, just inhabiting that space. Mm. And so I, I started thinking about dance as a metaphor for um, women occupying space in mm. society, in the public eye. Um, the, the first few poems were like coming-of-age poems. It, so I used um, the dance class as a, as a couch or a framework for the different, um, for the stages of this girl moving from, young, um, from girlhood to womanhood. But lately, I, I really, um, I'm thinking of, Revisiting this format or this theme to talk about women occupying space, women of color occupying mm. space, which, you know, historically, we women have been confined to certain spaces or certain roles. Yes. And dance has been very empowering for me mm. because it's, it's a way of um, making a mark on the space that you occupy and owning it. Mm. And I feel that poetry is the same way. Poetry is also a way of occupying space, whether it's a physical space when we read it in public or a, a mental space, an emotional space, even a political space, as we, we've been seeing very much of lately. Um, so I'd like to read a poem about the body occupying water. It's not a dance poem, but I was thinking about how... Um, um, when the body is submerged in a body in a body of water, you, it's a very physical um, depiction of how the body displaces matter when it occupies a space. So this is called self-portrait as water. Why does the body feel more beautiful underwater? Is what goes through me when I break the blue surface, levels rising as I plumb the tub's white womb. This second skin, thinner, slicker, gleaming wet as a lacquered bowl. Because the simplest of molecules, two H's, one O, love to love each other, cling to what they touch. How this universal solvent swallows every hill, fills the hollows of my surrender. Most forgiving of substances, I resolve to live like you, to fill and be filled, to take the shape of my vessel dispensing heat, displacing matter lighter than air. That's amazing. You've been listening to KKUP Cupertino 91.5 FM here in the Bay Area and beyond the Bay at kkup.org where we're streaming live all of the time. Tonight's show is Out of Our Minds Poetry Radio. It's the longest-running poetry radio show in the United States. I'm your host, Rochelle Escamilla, a.k.a. Poetita. Um, and you've been listening to Angela Narciso Torres reading from Blood Orange, which is out of Willow Books, as well as reading some of her favorite poems and some new poems, or at least one new poem. Mm -hmm. um, and I look forward to reading that book when it comes out. Because oh, thank you. I look forward to your second book, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Someday. <laughs> we'll, we'll be back on here. I'll get you back on the show. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. It's been a pleasure. Absolutely. And those of you listening, I just want to let you know before we go into the musical break that KKUP Studios has been here since the 1970s, and it started in a garage out in Cupertino, and it's been going ever since then. And here at KKUP, 
Uh, everything is done through volunteer work. Uh, none of us get paid, none of the engineers, none of the programmers, none of the production team. They don't get paid to do what they do. They do it. I do it. We do it because we love to do what we do. And um, personally, I just think that it's absolutely necessary to continue to have a poetry show on the airwaves for the community for free. Absolutely. I yeah. agree. So um, if you're listening out there, you're listening streaming or you're listening in your car, you're listening from your computer, whatever, um, please give us a call at 408-260-2999 or 831-255-2999 to become a member. Or if you're listening um, through your computer or your phone or anything, you can just click on our website and become a member and consider giving, uh, becoming a member of KKUP and supporting this radio station so it can continue going. And this could be the longest poetry radio show in the universe someday. <laughs> <laughs> That's my goal. <laughs> I hope so, too. <laughs> so if we're transmitting, transmitting all the way to Mars, we'll still be here giving you poetry every Wednesday night from 8 to 9 p.m. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for listening. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with some other poets and writers for you to listen to. And thank you so much, Angela, for being on the show. Thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Well, here we go. Here's uh, The Whispers. I've been playing The Whispers tonight, taking you back to the 1980s, 1981 in particular with this last song. And this last song is Love is Where You Find It. So here we go. Uh, let's try that again. Oh, there we go. <laughs>
What's this mystery I've been captured in? I can feel the glow of love touching on my skin. When I'm close to you, there's a special light within. Come on. 